Hello, you're listening to Our Walk, the podcast that speaks to real people with real stories about a real God. Each episode is split into three parts. You've got part one, which is all about your childhood and your upbringing. Part two, which is all about when you met God or how you met God and your entry into the church. And part three is what has happened since you met God. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Luke Emmett. And we would really, really like for you guys to get in touch with us. Email ourwalkpod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, search Our Walk, and on Twitter at ourwalkpod. This week, we're speaking to a man we've spoken about fairly, fairly regularly, James Hollands. So James, how are you today? I'm awesome, thank you so much. It's a beautiful morning in a beautiful town of Reading. It is indeed. Now James, you know me, you've known me for eight years now, and you know I'm a massive nerd when it comes to Marvel, like Marvel movies, Marvel comics. In the movies, James, you probably won't know since you haven't watched them, and hopefully our viewers will understand this, but one of the creators of Marvel comics, Stan Lee, makes a cameo in every movie. So he's in it for one little scene, you know, just to show he's there. It's just a little funny gag. And I'd like to think, so far, on this podcast, you are the Stan Lee of our walk, because not in every podcast, but most podcasts we've had so far, your name has been mentioned, is that correct? So am I a funny little gag? Is that what you're inferring? Basically. Well, no, I'm saying you're an old man from, oh. you know, New York. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take both, to be brutally honest with you, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> good for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's actually true, though. It is true. You know, you have been mentioned quite a few times. But, yeah. Well, we give God all the glory. <laughs> Amen, we do. So, James, how we start off, this is the first segment we talk about your sort of childhood and your upbringing your family and stuff so yeah if you just want to sort of kick off awesome now i know luke says phrases quite regularly which we always laugh about however i guess you guys will probably begin to notice that i say awesome a heck of a lot so what are the rules if you say a word lots of times you've got to read the bible in that period you've got to read a bible first yeah okay or if you're not christian do a shot but we're we're So you got every time Steve laughs, every time I say you know, and every time James says awesome. I think we should also add in every time you say our viewers rather than listeners, because... Yeah, they're not actually <laughs> they're viewing, not viewing anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So hopefully we're going to get through a lot of the Bible today. Yes. So, me, so, you know, Luke always takes the mick out of me because Luke thinks that I love it when my name gets mentioned on these. And, you know, it is a blessing because one of the things is that working in a church can be really quite lonely and to hear that you might have impacted by Jesus Christ some of these lives has been an absolute blessing so I do feel truly honoured but what was my life like how did I grow up I'm going to tell you awesome. that's kind of what the question yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> I know you know I, I get paid to talk so I'm quite good at doing it so yeah. let's keep this sweet so most of you know or most of you may not know that my parents are Pastor Nev and Pastor Jackie Hollands they run or are senior pastors of Lyspring Church in Reading. And um, they haven't always been that role, so I was born in rural Berkshire Hospital in 1982. Don't try to work that out, because you'll guess my age. 49. 49, give or take. I'm not sure Luke passed his GCSE maths, <laughs> <laughs> but nor did I. So I'm 31 years old. Um, I'm not. Everyone's trying to work out the maths. I'm 35. Um, I grew up at Bellevue Road, which is a small road just near the church we currently live at, or are based at. 
Um, as a kid, my dad was originally a builder, a painter and decorator. Um, don't really remember that. When after a few years of him building and decorating, he started to work in the building society. He did really well for himself in Halifax Building Society, which is now obviously a bank. Over that time, my sister was born, Lisa. She was born in 1984. She's absolutely tremendous. And then after about another 10 or so years, my little sister Emily was born. So I've got two sisters, a mum and a dad. Now, my life as a kid was pretty cushy, to be honest, pretty easy. I didn't have any stresses. I went to English Martyrs playgroup. Um, can't remember much about it, apart from someone pushed me off the bike once and I cried and pushed him off the bike. Oh, um, so, <laughs> tragic. Yeah, a bit of a geezer, <laughs> even when I was about three or four years old. I went to St Michael's School in Talhast. Um, school was good for me. I was quite a friendly guy. I got some great friends, um, one or so I still even see to this very day. Um, yeah, primary school was cool. Then we went to secondary school, went to Prospect, which was Prospect Technology College. And back then, the new up-and-coming school, they thought. Um, year 7 was a tough year for me, because in Year 6, we were all asked, what friend do we want to be in the same form as at Year 7? So one little so-and-so, who I didn't know, said my name before I could say my best friend's name. So Year 7, I was put in a class with no one I knew, apart from this one guy who I didn't really like. Right. So year seven, it sounds stupid, year seven was a real <laughs> stress for me because all my friends were hanging out together and I was in a different form with people I didn't know and people I didn't like. And even though I do regularly speak on events and whatnot, I'm an incredibly shy person. So for me to attempt to make friends with people was really hard. So year seven for me was a real tough time. Um, I remember saying regularly, I want to leave this school, I want to go to another school where my friends are. The head of year wouldn't allow me to move form to be with my other friends so it was a real tough time and you know I didn't make loads of friends because I was quite quiet and really really shy of course over a year or so year eight and nine kick in and of course then I was able to make more friends which was great I worked pretty hard in year eight and in year nine and was doing pretty well in all my lessons and whatnot but then for some reason in year 10 and 11 the important years of your school life I decided not to work very hard oh. which <laughs> I still find it a bit strange to this day. I don't really know why that happened. Maybe it was friendship groups. Maybe it was just because I was trying to be cooler than I actually was. So year 10 and 11 came in. I was just focused on football. I just loved playing football. That was my life, playing football. Um, after school, during school, played for the football teams. You know, that was my, my life. And, of course, of which meant that I struggled to work hard at school. When it came to GCSEs, I managed to do my, sit on my GCSEs. I only got three A to Cs the first time around, and the rest were Ds, which must, I must admit, absolutely broke me back then because I thought, you know, I was the geezer with the gift of the gab. I was mm. the geezer who could just get flying colours without actually doing any work. And so I remember when we were living at my grandmother's house because the house we lived at had subsidence. And I remember when the exam results came in, we picked the results up from school because we were on holiday and we were in the Asda garage, Asda um, superstore in Tarlest. And I just absolutely broke down in tears thinking, man, I'm a failure. I can't even play football really very well and I've got no decent exam grades. So I remember on the sixth form day, we ended up going in to see what um, lessons we could do. And by the grace of God, I was able to persuade the head of teachers for me to do an A-level course as long as I retook a couple exams. So I was able to do that. I studied a business qualification in a GMVQ advanced, which is the equivalent of three A-levels all rolled into one. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, it didn't involve many exams, mainly coursework. 
and so by the end of school time I was able to have five A to C's at GCSE including all the important ones so the double English and maths I was able to have the equivalent of three C's in business at A level qualification um, so yeah that was my school life during that time my father had gone full time into the church so he was working full time for Lifespring at the time now that was tough for me because even though I loved him and I'm proud of him and I still am obviously um, we met on Sunday mornings at our school now the school hall who you know is a perfect fit for our church about 100 or so people but my big problem was that all my mates would play football on Sunday mornings and their home ground would be at Prospect School so I was hiding I was so embarrassed at the fact that some of my school friends would A. think I went to church and B thought that I would believe it and I did get not bullying that would be the wrong way to put it but I did get ribbed people were taking the mickey out of me and they would say well I'm not allowed to do certain things because I'm a bible basher and all this sort of stuff and so I remember year year 10 and 11 and mainly year 9 that was quite tough for me in those days because I kind of became a bit embarrassed of my faith I kind of got a bit ashamed of it you know why are my friends taking the mickey out of me is this a load of rubbish is this a load of garbage perhaps it is um, towards the end of my sixth form days, I kind of just gave up on church, gave up on God. So about the age of 16, 17 mainly so, I decided to jack church in, so to speak. I thought it was pretty irrelevant, it was pretty boring. It's just a load of 50, 60-year-olds who meet on a Sunday morning, strangely, and think they're having a lot of fun, which doesn't look like they are. Mm. So about that sort of age, I jacked in the church. I started working for Barclays Bank with the grace of God, the qualifications I was able to have in business meant I could get a job straight away in the bank, starting pretty much at the bottom. Um, also during this time I discovered my love of football away days, I discovered my love of binge drinking and I discovered the love of people of the opposite sex, although I was not quite successful in that area as much as I wasn't going to football away days and drinking heavily on these occasions. So, working in the bank was fun, Um, it was stressful, it was quite pressured, there's lots of goals to reach, lots of goals to achieve. Um, We find out that the only way to relieve the stress was a few of us guys would go out drinking maybe three, four nights of the week. We'd be known by the bartenders in the walkabout, in the bartenders in the Yates's, they would think that, oh my gosh, here come the Barclays boys again, and you know, we dressed up nice, we were all in suits, shirts and ties, and by about 11 o'clock they'd see us all with the ties around our foreheads, looking Mm. stupid, and this could be a Monday night, a Wednesday night, Thursday or Friday, sometimes even all four, and then we'd obviously always go out on a Saturday, often to Reading away games, where we'd be um, drinking from 6, 7 in the morning, depending on how far the trip away was. The worst one being a trip to York City away in the FA Cup second round, so it's an absolute nothing game. I'll never forget we had a Barclays do the night before. We all had way too much to drink, and at 6 o'clock in the morning we met at Redden train station, everyone feeling awful, and the first thing you do was crack open a beer and sit on the train, and we'd go on the train and we were drinking until 2 in the morning. And that was part and parcel of my life. That was weekends for me. It would get to the point where we weren't obviously allowed to sneak drinks into the football ground, so we would buy miniature bottles, stick them down our trousers because we knew we wouldn't get searched there, and then we'd just buy a bottle of Coke in the football ground and stick the whiskies straight in there. And that was my life for two, three, four years. I had um, girlfriends during that time, and of course, not being a Christian, I didn't necessarily live a Christian life um, when I was with those um, girlfriends. And so, yeah, so that was my first part of my life 
so to speak. Oh wow, quite a lot, quite a lot of stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for thank you for, yeah, for listening. In, in, yeah, thank yeah. you for listening. Well, I kind of have to. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah. <laughs> to. To be able to ask questions. <laughs> you could cut me off and then it'd be a bit embarrassing. Yeah. Obviously, there's lots more, but just in a nutshell, that's oh, yeah, part, yeah, no, part of my no. life. Um, um, going back, James. So your family were always Christians, yeah. Yeah. So your parents are always Christians. You're always brought in a, a sort of a Christian. Well, yes, household. I know. So no? father grew up in a Christian household. My mother wasn't a Christian, she didn't get saved to 17 years old right. um, and that side of our family currently aren't church goers, whether they're saved or not, you know, we don't know, that's a theology question that perhaps is for another for another time. Different podcast Different podcast. Not this one. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly and so, obviously for my whole life my mum and dad have been Christians but my mother yeah. didn't grow up in a Christian family No, okay, um, but you know so you grew up with your mum and dad, you know, sort of teaching you but it's sort of like Christian ways yep, and stuff like no, that exactly right and both um, at a young age so when you're in primary school mm-hmm. and stuff was there like how was your understanding of it all um, I, you know, obviously when you get older you know a teenager and stuff like that you probably have more understanding of it but as a child like you know what was it like you know to, in your mind as in Christian yeah yeah Christian just... or you know God and you know everything you know that you mm-hmm. were sort of being brought up to believe like how was that like to you how did you yeah. sort of get it? So one of the most awesome things about growing up in a Christian family is that you kind of grow up in the church as well. And, you know, lots of people don't like the church. I love the church. I'm for the church. And I know the church is the hope of our nation. And so it's a blessing from day one, I guess, or day 14, <laughs> the first time I went to church or whatever it was, I've grown up in the church. And, you know, so one of the reasons I'm sure I know parts of the Bible is because of Bible teaching every single Sunday we'd have our small groups for you know the first 15 years of my life you know my mother and father would encourage us to say grace at dinner table you know we would read the Bible together we would pray together as a family and you know that for me was always a good thing admittedly towards my later teens I wasn't fussed or interested but as a kid growing up I think that's kind of cemented the importance of A reading the Bible and B um, chatting to Jesus as a mate which he is mm. so I have a question so when you decided to jack it all in with church and everything and you were off away days and all this kind of thing what what were your parents thinking do you know what they were thinking? Have you ever had a conversation with them? Because no. obviously them being church leaders and then you being their oldest son, it's a bit... Yeah. It doesn't quite marry up, really, so... I think, and I'm pretty sure that it's incredibly tricky for them, I know that my mother once got a word from the Lord saying that James will return, and so I knew that she was holding on to that the whole time. Um, of course they were praying for me. My grandmother, who unfortunately isn't well at the moment, always prayed for all her grandchildren every day. And there was a, a time where me, my cousin Dan, another great guy, we both weren't walking with the Lord at all. And I'm sure, well, I know, that it's through obviously the prayers of the whole family, but my grandmother, who was praying for all her grandchildren every single day. And, there's no, and that is a strong reason, I'm sure, why every single one of her grandchildren is a, is a Christian person. Um, and so, so yes, yeah, so they would have found it hard without a shadow of a doubt, you know, and I don't turn up to church or I do turn up to church on the re- irregular occasion, stinking of booze and whatnot. It must have been hard for them um, and probably a little bit embarrassing, you know. I'm embarrassed when I look back at my the way I used to live my life and so for them as pastors it must have been really hard. Did you ever think, like, with their perspective on the way you were living, did that ever cross your mind at the time? No, not really, so... As a older teenager, I wasn't very 
good at confrontation, still not, still hate it, <laughs> just chucking that in there, but have to do it with the drop roll I'm in now. Um, but back then I, I was awful at it, so you know, I would just write my mum and dad a letter, say, hey mum, dad, you know I love you, you know I respect you, but I'm staying at my girlfriend's house for the next 10 days. Um, that was that, or hey mum, dad, I won't be at church because I'm going out partying the night before, or something like that. So I was the sort of guy who would hate confrontation, I would never like to chat to them about it face to face I guess because I know they would probably prove me wrong or it would end up in an argument and we'd fall out which I would hate and so yeah, I was a letter writer so to speak Yeah, that sounds very similar to the way I deal with it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never, never head on um, but the older you get it's still never easy you boys would know confrontation's horrible yeah. and... Amy will tell you I still don't do it <laughs> I still don't <laughs> try it i kind of run away from it still but this isn't about me this is about you <laughs> so let's should we move on let's move on to from that into part two we'll have a quick break so james in part one we learned a lot about your um sort of upbringing as a child and uh, into teenage life and into a young adult uh, where we're at now like where you got us up to is that you have completely distanced yourself from the church you're not living a christian lifestyle at all uh you know you're binge drinking a lot hanging with friends going out clubbing and stuff like that uh part two is all about the moments you sort of got back in you know got back into church or uh moments that you encountered god so if you'd like to start telling us about that sort of process like when did that all begin yes so I can't remember my exact age, but I guess I was age 20, 21, 22 maybe, early 20s. I probably can't remember because of all the <laughs> binge drinking I was doing that, if I'm being brutally honest. But I'll never forget the time, and it's, it's a guy I don't see regularly, or certainly regularly enough at the moment, a guy called Colin Kirby. So if you're listening, make big up. But I was um, on a night out on a whatever night it was, and I'll never forget, I was walking home along Talas Road, for those of you who live in Reading, and I was near the big English Martyrs Catholic Church, and near Prospect School, uh, Prospect Park. And I was there and he just looked at me and went, Jack. So my nickname was Jack because I was a bit of a Jack the Lad and so <laughs> lots of people would know me as Jack. And he'd go, Jack, do you know Jesus loves you and he's got a purpose for your life? I was like, shut up. But then that really stayed in my head. I don't know if you guys ever have that, but someone says something which you kind of pass off just as a passing comment, but actual fact you couldn't let it go. Mm. And so for that, I, to be brutal, my lifestyle didn't change. But... I had that in the back of my head the whole time. And there was this one day I was due to go to watch QPR v Celtic. Yep, not a QPR fan, not certainly not a Celtic fan. And it was a game in Loftus Road, it was a pre-season friendly, and I was kind of bullied by someone to go to a church camp at Russell Khan. Totally not interested in going, totally didn't want to be there. A, it's boring, B, I get really bad hay fever when we're in a farm, and C, it just wasn't really for me. But for some unknown reason, maybe it was a God point, maybe it was a God thing, I don't know. Um, I thought, oh, I'll go, keep them quiet. So we went into this massive barn at Russell Farm, and someone from my family, Richard Thomas, my uncle, just a big shout-out to him, he's an amazing man, um, he came up to me and just said, welcome home, James, it's good to have you part of the family. And my goodness me, I just broke down like a little baby that afternoon and you know I was the guy that I was wearing the Stone Island gear I was wearing a football hooligan club I was a cool kid or at least I thought I was back then and I was never gonna cry let alone cry in front of people in a church I broke down like a little 
baby that afternoon and I knew that that was a God encounter I knew that that was God meeting with me and you know like I don't know about people listening to this podcast or Steve or you Luke but sometimes we know who Jesus is and I knew back then you know all the books and stories and what I'd heard I knew it was true but you know you just push it to the side you're just like "Ah, I can't be bothered I just want to do what I want to do and I knew it was all true and I knew I'd encountered Jesus that day so I was moving my hands like I was doing a sermon and and I knew that I was um, (coughs) met Jesus that day but it was really hard for me to get my lifestyle sorted I still had my feet in both camps yeah on a Sunday morning I was the person who was singing and whatnot and I'd go to the small group on a Tuesday but on the Thursday Friday Saturday I was still living my old lifestyle and it was really hard because I genuinely wanted both if I'm being brutal I wanted the away days I wanted to see my non-Christian pals I wanted to drink 15 pints of lager I wanted also to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning so I had this big big dilemma going on in my head the whole time what one is it what one is it i know jesus is real can i give my all to him i know my non-christian mates are for me and love me which who do i choose and for me it was a massive decision to make i there's no word of a lie there's probably 15 or 20 of us who would go out partying most weekends so it wasn't just like all right guys i'm going to church now i'm not going to hang out with you it was a big decision and so through through prayer, I guess, I had to make the decision. And it was tough that, Jesus, you're the one I'm living for. I'm not living for um, partying and binge drinking and football stuff. So I had to make a really hard decision of not to hang out with those guys. Guys who were close friends to me. Guys who I would share my experiences in life with. Guys who I would go on holiday with. But it was a choice for me at that point in time, which was really tough. It's either Jesus or partying. And my big decision then was to choose Jesus. Um... Then I decided to get stuck in. We had a wonderful youth pastor called Andy who would just make me really busy. And for me, back at that point, the only way to keep me out of mischief was to keep me busy. And, you know, we were able to do amazing things for God. We were we started up a youth church after a little while called Refuel, which was absolutely incredible. Maybe 12 years ago, we were renting places in um, the town centre. And we were blessed to have over 100 teenagers and 20s come along most weeks with lots of people giving their lives to Jesus. But then, you know, still, I was still, like, still struggling, to be honest. I was, like, seeing this amazing stuff, but the hold of, man, I want to be on that train at 7.30 in the morning with my can of Fosters and going to the away game was still really, really tough. But, you know, we do these courses called Encounter Courses, and I was blessed to go, and I just gave God everything. I was saying, you know, it's 100% or nothing. I can't be a 50-50. I can't even be a 95-5 man anymore. This is my life or not at all. And so my big decision then was just to knock that on the head. And that's exactly what I did. I was blessed maybe 13 years ago to go with Pastor Nevin, Pastor Jackie, to Bogota, Colombia, for one of our conferences, which I know both of you guys have been to. And I'll never forget this. We were in the main auditorium and it was a youth service there was 25,000 young people there and it was a service which wasn't being translated so it was just all in Spanish so obviously I didn't understand a word Um, but I saw the passion of the young people and I saw the excitement of these young people and the presence of God came upon me like I've never known before so much so that as I was sat in that auditorium and it was an auditorium it was more like a mini football stadium inside I physically felt the Lord pick me up and sit me in Medeski Stadium with 25,000, 30,000 young people 
in that um, building and it wasn't just a building for Christians because that's just a waste of money and a waste of time you know great you can meet in your churches every day of the week if you want to but this was a big thing where of course there were many Christians but there were many unsaved people as well with thousands giving their lives to Jesus and that for me changed my life forever I'd experienced Jesus at Rushall Farm no questions asked I'd experienced Jesus in many meetings no questions asked but this 12-13 years ago changed my life forever the experience I felt there if anyone was to say any of my neighbors any of my mates were to say your life's really tough how can you believe Jesus is real I can say the experiences I've had of him prove to me that whatever I go through in my life I can never deny him and I will always live for him good times bad times tough times easy times I'm always going to live for him so let's take a step back let's rewind so you said the first time you reckon you encountered God excuse the plane flying overhead uh, the first time you encountered God was when your uncle kind of said welcome home kind of thing and you cried did you know did you acknowledge that that was God at the time or did someone have to kind of explain it to you later or was it did you kind of pick it up later or at the time were you just like what is this like why am I crying or did you kind of know even then I think having grown up in the church although I distanced myself from God and deliberately chose not to be part of the church, I still knew probably right at the back of my brain that God is real and that church is good. Um, So I guess I knew that it was a God encounter because of those reasons. Um, To be honest, I probably could have been to many meetings and had those sort of experiences. I chose not to because I guess I was a rebellious little geezer who thought he knew more than he did <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest and so yeah I knew that was definitely a God encounter because of the way I've grown up of course if I was a brand new person on the scene it might have just been why am I crying this is a bit strange and there might have been more explanation needed but for me back then I knew it was a God encounter partly because of the life I lived from zero to 17 18 so years that old. was the moment that he became like actually real to you rather than just kind of yeah and do you know what Steve you know I think I think I probably knew he was real anyway, but I just chose wrongly to make that decision of, I ain't living for you, I'm living for what I want to live, I want to make as much money as I can, I want to party as hard as I can, and I want to do whatever I want, how I want, when I want, and so, you know, I think I always knew he was real, and wrongly, I just chose not to follow that path, and... Well, as you guys know, that I can follow whatever path I want, and we can follow whatever path we want, but we're always going to come back to God because he is real and he is alive and kicking. Awesome. Um, two part sort of question here. Uh, it's just for the people, <clears throat> the people around you, how they reacted to you sort of coming back to God. Uh, like, so one, like, how did your family react to it? I, I'm assuming you know your parents must have been over the moon and mm-hmm. sort of overwhelmed and stuff. And then two, how did your friend? You, you know, you said that you still had that decide to hang out with them and go out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you made that choice, that okay, I've got to stop seeing them. Um, what was that like? Like, what did you exactly say? How did they react to that? So, uh, the question one with my parents, obviously they were absolutely stoked. They were over the moon, you know, they'd been praying for four years or three years or five years or whatever it was, I can't remember. They were praying for many years for me to come back, not to church, but to know Jesus as my saviour and my mate, essentially. So they would have been over the moon. And, you know, then, then of course, there's pressure on my shoulders, my mum and dad maybe my just dad just then was the senior pastor of the church and I was coming back so it was a bit of pressure when it came to my mates that was hard because I really loved them 
and I still do, and maybe it's the next part, but I'm, by the grace of God, I'm in contact with them all again now, and it's it's amazing. But, you know, back then, I'll never forget the time I was working for Smallwood. <laughs> I'd left the bank by then, because the only way to get out of the party and binge drinking lifestyle was to get out of banking and into landscape gardening, which um, you couldn't be much different from suiting and booted to mm. digging a hole. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I guess, good plan <laughs> worked, so I dug myself out of a hole by working for Smallwood. There you go. Please, <laughs> please, love my jokes. Um, so yeah, so so at that time I was in Smallwood. I never forget we were working at a house, and my mate Sweet Boy. It's called Sweet Boy because in the bank he used to know all the beautiful women. And in actual fact, he ended up marrying a woman he was chatting to in the bank. So he's a Sweet Boy. So he always called him Sweet Boy. But it was his stag do, and he was going to Prague. And I knew that I shouldn't go, but I was too scared to tell him I couldn't go. And it was all the boys, you know. So it was a big do. And I remember just texting him saying, Sweet Boy. Firstly, I want to let you know that I love you, I'm for you, but there's something more important in my life at the moment and I can't come on your stag do. Um, he didn't understand it. He probably thought, what an idiot, you know, and whatnot. But for me, that was the first big decision I had to make. It's easy to say, oh, sorry, boys, I can't make a Saturday. Like, oh, sorry, guys, I can't come to this football game. But when everyone's going on the stag do, of a close friend of yours, where you would be expected to go, that was the first time I had to make that decision. So it's really hard, you know, a lot of the boys... Um, you know, like over years, you kind of drift. I always kept in contact with my good friend Gunnar, who's my um, wonderful friend, great guy I met in the banks. So I always kept in contact, and so I always knew what was going on. I actively chose for many years never to go out with those guys on a Friday or Saturday night because I'd previously I tried to go out with them. You know, I'm going to tell them about Jesus, and unfortunately they'd tell me about beer. And um, <laughs> there's always a bad excuse. So often when I hear, well, I'm going out on the streets and partying with my friends to tell them about Jesus, well become a street pastor, don't go partying with them because there's only one thing probably and they should struggle with the most people going to happen. So yeah, it was really tough for me, man. Mm. I imagine it would be. Um, yeah, I think... Do you have any more questions, Steve? No, yeah. I'm more Just, excited about the next bit. Yeah, Let's, I'm more come excited on. about the next bit. So I think we'll end it there. We're in part two there. We'll have a quick break and we'll return in part three. Okay, part three. This is the part where we talk all about uh, what's kind of changed in your life since God became real and you kind of went back to the church. So, I mean, me and Luke know a fair bit about what's happened, but for people listening, they might not. So take us right back to the start and then up to where you are now. What's what's happened? What's gone on? Well, so, you know, I'm 35 years old. I probably came back to the church maybe 21, 22 years old. So I've been... Practicing Christian for 13 years or so, you know, which has had its ups and downs, has had its trials and tribulations, has been great and tough. What I've really understood is that Jesus has to be the foundation in your life for everything, not just for church related activities, I'm talking for work related activities, I'm talking in relationships, I'm talking business decisions, I'm talking financial decisions, everything Jesus has to be the foundation. And by the grace of God, I learned that from a really early age of being a Christian. Now, you know, we've made in ministry or in church, I've made as many mistakes as I've made non mistakes. But you know that I know that God is for me and not against me. We have done many things so when I was about 22 23 for two years I gave a day a week of my time voluntarily for the church to do youth stuff people always forget that when you're full-time in the church I think you just landed full-time but you know for two years I gave a day of my week unpaid two years every single Friday to do youth and to do youth church and we were 
having a great time. We were seeing many people come to our youth church called Refuel, as I might have mentioned previously. We met at Talos Free Church, which is now the gate. And it was great, you know, we would see 50, 60, 70, 80 people come. We had a wonderful youth band up and coming. It was brilliant. And then we weren't allowed to use that building anymore, not for any bad reasons. It was just, I think it was being used by their church, which is cool. So we went to the Globe and it continued to grow. We were seeing many people come to salvation through it. We were seeing God move powerfully in the situations. And it was absolutely brilliant. And then the Globe were having their great church again. The Globe were having... Um, refurbishment happening in their youth hall so we had to move again we moved to a church in Tardis a small older church and it flopped Refuel, uh, refresh totally totally flopped um, not for anything we weren't doing we were still praying we were still fasting we were still seeking we kind of had the same setup we had the wonderful band but instead of having 110 120 people we found we were having 15 and so that was a great challenge to me as a new person in the church that was a great challenge I was like God why I'm working hard, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm spending lots of time, I'm inviting lots of people to it. And so I felt the Lord say, it's a hard decision to stop it, start again, see what happens. And so that was one of the big decisions I had to do, you know, and as the leader of the youth back then, I wasn't leader, I was just one of the youth workers back then, that was a really tricky thing to do, but something I knew I needed to do. So it was a great lesson to do, is always listen to God, his ways are right. We then moved to a place called uh, Ralph Lane, an old doctor's surgery in Reading, um, which is where our offices as a church was. And we launched Refresh again, and we started to get, maybe after six months, it wasn't quick, we started to get between 40 and 50 young people max there. And, you know, that was powerful, because although we weren't hitting the hundreds and 110, 20, 30s, 50s, as we were before, we were seeing young people grow from 15 to about 50, and we see many new people come, Luke being one of them, started to come along to these youth churches and it was a really powerful time so refresh we invested a lot of time into and we saw a lot of growth and we saw a lot of not only growth in numbers which is important um, but growth spiritually and people's walks in the Lord's were growing as well um, after a few years I after two years I was blessed to share the role as youth worker with Sarah Lawrence full-time so although we had full-time hours it shared between two of us so we're doing two and a half days each or because of other work commitments we were doing two and a half days in two days and so we were doing many things from going to schools we were doing Christian unions we were doing assemblies we were doing cell groups small groups for you guys who don't have cells we were doing refuel we were doing loads of different activities we were doing youth clubs we were doing so much stuff in this time but often we can do lots of things six out of ten or we can choose to do two or three or four things nine ten out of ten and so i really felt the lord say strip it back strip it back and so that's exactly what we did um to today you know so skipping a load of years i'm sure you boys can go back over that i'm just trying to think of what to say to today you know emma and i my wonderful beautiful wife and I, we are blessed to be overseeing the youth and young adults here in Rice Spring Church and we do lots of amazing fun things. We have an amazing youth set up, we have amazing young adults set up and we do all sorts of things from Bible studies which we've just started to small groups to evening services which we're going to relaunch again soon to small groups. We do all sorts of fun things for our youth and young adults and we're seeing many people come through the doors um, which is really exciting. So that's your church side of life. What about your personal life? Personal life, you know. You mentioned your wife. So since you found God, <laughs> you, you happen to have stopped having girlfriends and found a wife. <laughs> yeah, so true. 
So, you know, I am blessed, and you guys missed out on my wonderful, beautiful wife. She is the biggest godsend. <laughs> did, did, did he just say that? <laughs> we missed out on her. Well, you did, you did, man, because she's, fair, man. she's absolutely beautiful, <laughs> and, you know, I'm so blessed. Um, I've I, I known Emma since I was 11 years old. Um, we were kind of friends at secondary school to about 16 to... No, no, just end of sixth form, so about 18 we were friends and she decided to go gallivanting around Europe. She wasn't saved, as I probably wasn't back then as well. Um, she started going gallivanting around Europe and about the age of 19, 20 we kind of bumped into each other, a few mutual friends in a pub in Reading and we always got on so we just started to hang out. And during that time I had other girlfriends, Emma had other boyfriends, but we were doing equipping for Destiny. And one of the questions was, or one of the Equipment for Destiny is our leadership course, and one of the questions was we had to do was to ask a non-Christian questions about Jesus. Um, good way to get out there and to break your nervousness. So I'll never forget, we were in a bird in the hand pub in Talos, which is now shut down. And we were sat there and I asked them all these questions. And I was like, oh my gosh, you don't know anything. I thought, you know, you're an English Christian country. You must have known so many stuff, and I was absolutely shocked that she knew so little about Jesus. Like, she hardly knew who he was. So that evening, she came back to our house. She was friends with her family. We weren't dating. We were just mates. And I said to her, Em, I'd really like you to do an Alpha course, and it would help you to come. I'd love to come with you. Anyway, she said, yes, she'd love to. And that never happened, and I invited her to church two weeks later, in which she gave her life to Jesus, which is absolutely incredible. Now, we still didn't start dating then. Um, it probably wouldn't have been wise, but about the age of about 24, we kind of got really close, and we're like, we're kind of best mates, you know? You're hot. I'm quite hot. Um, this, <laughs> this, could be, this, yeah, <laughs> this could be a match made in heaven, so to speak. So we were at a party at one of our school friends, and I remember saying to her, Em, I really like you, but we're in an all-or-nothing thing here. We're either going to date in the attempt to get married, or we're not going to bother at all. I don't need any more heartbreak. And back then we were really trying to implement with our young people the importance of just hanging out together for three months, just as best mates and pray together before you make the decision to have a relationship. So we did that and we would pray together. Every time we'd see each other we'd go for walks along in Purley. We'd do lots of fun stuff just as great mates and praying. And you know, one of the best things in relationships is to marry your best mate, presumably of the opposite sex. Um, and so Emma and I, we, we, after three months, we really felt the Lord say, yeah, go for it. So we went for it, proof us in the pudding. Two years later, we were married, um, having a well over time, loving life, and really, most importantly, we were both able to serve Jesus as a couple, which makes life so much easier. Um, yeah, we had some tough times, and not a couple, but in scenarios in our life, hit about 27 years old, so about a year or so after being married, we thought we'd like to have a family. So we started preparing for that and trying to make that happen. After two years, nothing had happened. We're like, hmm, this is a bit strange. So we decided to go to the doctors. I was fine, Emma was fine. We're like, well, what's going on here? This is a bit strange. So we carried on trying for a baby. Three, four, five years, still nothing had happened. And that was a real tough, that was a real storm for Emma and I because everyone around us of our age group, everyone around us of uh, our friends were not only having kids but starting families. And we were like, we were married before you. How does this happen? We got really jealous. And it was really tough. Six years came along, still nothing. Seven years came along. And we were like, God, what are you trying to teach us here? 
And I'll never forget this. We were in a beach in Cromer in Norfolk. And we were just walking along there. It's a beautiful family beach. It's a beautiful family place where lots of families. And Emma and I were just both just walking down the promenade and we were like, we're going to have a family. Nothing had changed. I was still fine. Emma was still fine. And, you know, situations and scenarios hadn't changed. But we got back to Reading and we had a belief in our hearts again. You know, we went up into the loft and we started decorating a nursery for a baby which wasn't even conceived. We went upstairs and we, Emma would kill me for saying She went, kill me. She'll be annoyed at me for saying this. But, you know, she is had city. But um, she put a cushion up her dress and took a picture of herself. So it looked like she was pregnant. And we were able to visualise what was going to happen even though it actually hadn't happened so that was about six and a half seven years of trying for a baby by the grace of god after about seven years or so we were able to um, announce to friends and family over dinner time that we were expecting a baby and it was powerful i never forget because we were sat and my mum and dad were around for dinner we were sat having dinner and i was like father god thank you for this dinner and thank you for emma's positive pregnancy test my dad's like amen and my mum's like what <laughs> and so she was absolutely <laughs> stoked to have it. my dad was probably just like just like me just hey man let's crack on the <laughs> dinner you know and stuff like that and you know but, but so seven years of, of of trying for a baby i've said all that in two three minutes it was tough not having that happen especially as all my friends were and I'm talking you know like my beautiful younger sister you know after a year after about a month of trying for a baby conceived having twins you know my best friends having kids and I loved those kids and I loved those kids but it was really hard for Emma and I not having that situation and again back in Cromer we decided as well even though we believed with all our hearts that we were having the kids we said to God God even if you decide not to um, allow us to have a family we will serve you with everything regardless of what happened but uh, what happens and so yep so now I've got a beautiful beautiful baby boy called Reuben he's eight months old he's absolutely gorgeous and mm. someone prophesied over him before he was born that he'd be a little baby who brings joy to people and I, I, he brings joy to me and I know that a lot, <laughs> lots of people say he does bring joy so that's a blessing but you know we really had to give all to God back then in our personal life and it was tough and it was after a few weeks after Emma had um, after we'd had the positive news of being pregnant um, Emma felt something was wrong and felt like perhaps we'd had a miscarriage um, and we were in Norwich and then we like going to Norfolk and um well, I was like, God, you're not going to put us through seven years of tough times for this to happen. And so we really prayed that God would reveal to us that day that everything was absolutely fine. Um, during that time, we called him Little Dot because he was a little dot in Emma's tummy. And as we were just walking around Norwich, we went into a posh, expensive shop to look at the maternity section. Um, and as we walked in there, oh, my cat just jumped in on me. <laughs> and, uh, and as we walked in there, the first baby bro we saw said little dot on the front. And we were like, okay, God, there's no need to stress. We can relax. You're in control. Hmm. Yeah, man. So, so much has changed. I think if we rewind and go back to part one <laughs> and then yeah. talk about yeah. now, you know. Yeah. So, and I'm going to throw it out there. I said before we start recording, I, I don't know if it's because I'm particularly fond of you and Emma, but Ruben is one of the cutest babies <laughs> I've ever seen. I... Well, he looks like his mother then, obviously. Well, I, I'd I, say I'd... he looked like his dad. Well, well I appreciate that. He is, <laughs> he is gorgeous. He is. And you guys, you know, you guys are great. And I know me and Luke have mentioned you in just mm. how you, you and Emma have both, like, really helped us in our mm. walks. Huh? Yeah. Um, walk. So, yeah, I just... 
yeah, really appreciate you. But so can we, I guess really what I kind of want to ask is how has it been like kind of leaving all the old stuff behind? So obviously you used to go out all that kind of stuff and then all this has changed and God's kind of blessed mm. you with, with a family and everything like that. So how kind of, you mentioned earlier that you could have got back in touch with mm. the old gang. So how has that been? So, you know, God is always good. Um, you know, one of my dreams is that you boys know, especially many people listening, but that Jesus is not only made famous in Redden, but famous across the world. And that, I believe, comes through the way we live our lives. That comes through the importance of building our lives upon the Word of God. Without those two situations, we won't see much change. Of course, we believe in the Holy Spirit to impact our lives and everyone's. But it was about three, four years ago, I was... My mate said to me, Jack, we haven't seen you for ages. How about coming out for a beer? And I don't know about you guys, but you know when you're ready for that time. And even then, I knew that I was ready, but I knew that it was going to be on my terms and not on their terms. And so they'd all be going out park drinking from like three in the afternoon to three in the morning. So I was like, boys, I can be around from seven to half eight. And so I knew for me it was a time where I could speak to them, they're not going to be too drunk. I could hang out with them, they're not going to be too drunk. But also I could set the example of that like, I'm leaving before I drink too much or drink any more than one beer or whatever. Um, and so that was a great way for me to get back in contact. And you know, people slate social media. They really do. But so many of those fellas were like to me, so Jack, thank you for writing that psalm on Facebook the other day. I was like, what? Didn't even know you looked at my Facebook. So what's um, Refresh all about? Oh, it's good to see what the church does. You know, so even little things like just for me writing a few bits on social media has really helped these guys out. And then two, three years ago, my good friend Gunnar, who I mentioned previously, um, was getting married and it was his stag do and it was a stag do to Dublin. Now, ten years ago, this would have been dangerous for me. <laughs> a stag do in Dublin, Guinness drinking all day and whatnot. And I decided that, you know, I chatted to Pastor Nev, my dad, and my mother, and like, what do you think I should do? I said, I feel good, I feel like I can go and I feel like I can set the example. And anyway, we went and I deliberately chose to um, share a room with Sweet Boy, who I mentioned previously, and um, we stayed in a different hotel to them. He was the only other one with kids. Not that I had kids at the time, but he was the only one with kids, so I knew that he'd be much more better behaved. And we were able to go to Ireland, and we were able to have a fantastic time. I wouldn't go to any of the late-night places, any of the, the, the clubs. Of course, I'd go to the pub during the day, because otherwise I'd just been sat in my hotel room and spent lots of money on flights. Um, so it had been a bit pointless. But I was able to set the example in there, and I was able to not drink much at all, but to actually have fun with the fellas. And they would actually begin to understand, actually, Jack, you are this Christian guy, but you're all right. You're not boring, you're not a loser, you can have as much fun as us, you're just not drinking to excess at all. Um, since then, you know, we go on regular curry clubs with them. Again, all on my terms. I rarely go out on a Saturday night or a Friday night, but I do a curry on a Wednesday night with them because, obviously, the guys don't want to drink too much. And by the grace of God, at least two of the guys have been to church since, not necessarily giving their lives to Jesus. When we have a dedication for Reuben, I know they will all, they will all come to it, and I believe in they'll hear the message of Jesus. Um, but it was my lifestyle which had to change, which was the big important thing to them. Otherwise, they think I'm just a hypocritical Christian, whereas I say the stuff, but I don't do what I say I do. And that would be hypocritical and mm. wouldn't be any good to anyone. Mm. So, James, as a, as a youth worker in the church, um, what kind of struggles have there been or are there in that sort of job role? Like, what struggles have you had to face in that job so, role? So, working with young people is a ble is awesome you know um 
being a youth worker is a lot nicer than being the top boy because I can't have as much fun as I used to have because yeah. I have to do all the preparation and whatnot. Things can be tough, you know, people believe stuff which are untrue. Regularly happens to me. Regularly having people come up to me saying, oh, so-and-so said this, which is all lies. Um, many times you spend years investing into people's lives and they just decide to up and go. It's tough. It happened to me on many occasions. Many occasions. Maybe I'm rubbish at discipling, or maybe people don't want to be discipled. But, you know, many times I've had people have invested lots of time into who have got an obvious plan from God over their lives, and they're like, no, nah, can't be bothered. I'm going to a different church. I'm going to elsewhere. That's heartbreaking. That's hard. Because, but at the end of the day, I know that I've done what I needed to do. Um, it's their decision, and then it's free will, isn't it? choose to um, do something or choose not to do something so I'm upset for a little while but you know I'll get over it you know there's a town and a nation to win for Christ and if I'm going to worry about the ones that is if they're saved it doesn't bother me what church I go to the important thing is they're going to spend eternity with Jesus of course I'd love them to come to Life Spring but if they don't as long as they're going to church and spending time with the king that's the most important thing to me so as you are now what would you say to 17 year old Jack what would you say to him about Jesus now? Like, what kind of stuff would you say to him? Like, because obviously, presumably, Jack, as I'm going to term him, as the old boy, old James to new form James, like, he would have looked at as you are now and gone, you're a loser, or, you know, mm. presumably something along those lines. So what would you kind of say to younger mm. you? One of the reasons, Steve, I love working with young people is because I've made all the mistakes that these guys don't need to make. And so one of my dreams and goals is that I can be an example in the way I live my life. I can be an example in the way I talk to people. I can be an example in every area. That, I believe, is the big difference. And church has totally changed in 15, 20 years since I was that age, you know. Now, since adopting the vision, we have adopted church as a lifestyle, which it should be. Um, serving Jesus shouldn't be two days a week and the more you serve Jesus the more you get out of it which sounds so cheesy and cliche but it's true and I'm not talking about just speaking at the front I'm talking about doing podcasts like this I'm talking about doing admin I'm talking about doing finances I'm saying the more you serve Jesus the more the closer you are to him one of the reasons I left the church was I thought it was irrelevant I thought it was boring I thought it was a waste of time I'm hoping that a 17-year-old who would come to church now for the first time would realise actually that the church isn't irrelevant, that it isn't boring, and actually it's all right. And I think we're beginning to see that with the new people coming into the church. You know, people expect church to be uh, people dressed, the priest dressed in a dress and whatnot. You know, well we have um, major lights, we have a massive band, we have wonderful multimedia you know we spend a lot of time in making things excellent because you know we should serve Jesus with excellence there's no questions in my mind about that and we want to always pursue and always push things forward so I would hope Steve that a Jack at 17 years old if he was here now wouldn't want to be leaving the church <laughs> because of the way we do our walk with Jesus now which is a 24-7-365 rather than a two day a week not even two day one morning and one evening a week scenario but if a jack wanted to leave uh, then it's, it's, it's his choice you know, like, you know, I can't make him stay of course I'll be praying I'll be fasting I'll be loving I'll be buying coffees I'll do whatever I can um, and just showing him hopefully Jesus in the way I live my life so James why do you serve Jesus what why I serve Jesus Steve because 
however many years ago he changed my life and I know that without him in my life I couldn't do what I do now you know as you guys know especially the importance I harp on about every single day spending time in the word every single day is paramount to you living your life with Jesus I'm on about don't leave your house for work in the morning until you've heard from God I've done that and I've vowed to do that in the last three years or two years or whatever it is I've done that every single day and every single day Jesus has um, spoken to me building your life upon his foundations is so true having deep foundations in the word experiencing them every single day is a necessity in life what's your question? <laughs> just going Why do you tank. serve him? Why do I serve him? <laughs> I serve him because we have a wonderful town of Redden. I love my town of Redden. If you don't love Redden, you need to come visit it, man. It is beautiful. You can be in the centre of Redden and drive 10 minutes north, south, east, west and be in the middle of nowhere. We're a town. I was looking on Wikipedia the other day, which has 311,000 people in it currently, of which I would guess 300,000 people aren't saved. So the reason I serve God is because I believe that my town is going to be changed and transformed. I believe my nation is going to be changed and transformed. And of course it can happen with anyone on, you know, the, the church is a body, it's one. And so it's not just Lifespring Church, it's the Church of Red and wanting to see this town changed. So I serve God because I want to see our town changed. I don't want to see young people going through the stuff I went through. I don't want to see old people going through the stuff I went through. You know, with all the infertility stuff with Emma and I, if Emma and I can help anyone out, maybe there's some people who are listening here who are going through similar situations, please speak to Emily, we'd love to pray for you, we know how you feel, so many people said to us, we know how you feel, but then had a baby after 18 months, it's like, you don't know how we feel um, but we'd love to be there for people I serve God because he's amazing he's changed my life and I'm going to tap on for every single person, just in case you didn't get the reason I serve God So James, we've just heard your incredible story your incredible testimony your whole life um you know we've listened to the bad times the good times the challenges you've had to overcome um just obviously you know i remember saying in sort of my story and steve said it and multiple people have said it jamie matthews was one of the people who said it you know you've been a massive part of my life and many others so thank you very much you know you know thank god as well for just putting you in our lives you know you are truly one of the most incredible people i know and one of my earthly heroes and i truly mean Appreciate that james that. um part four we usually um ask the people that we're talking to if there's anything they need pray for, pray for prayer for yeah um <laughs> that me and steve and the people listening can pray yeah. for you so what would that be how long we got <laughs> as long as you want you know our work Full time in the church, so I need a lot, a lot, a lot of prayer. But the main prayer the scenarios would be wisdom. Sounds so cheesy and cliche. I'm getting the grey hair on the sides already, which is why I shave it. You know, I need wisdom. I am um, blessed to work full time in the church, but I don't want to make rash decisions. I don't want to make wrong decisions. I want to make wise decisions. And pray for my family. And pray that my family is blessed and strong. And that Reuben never leaves the Lord as I did. Pray for my family like Emma's side of family don't know Jesus my mum's side don't know Jesus I'd love for them to be saved um, pray for the church that the church is continuing to be united and the church continues to grow for his glory and I've got keep going keep going keep going <laughs> pray for um, pray for you boys that God continues to reveal himself to you in every single area pray for our young people that um, the youth and the young adults continue to grow but most importantly pray that Jesus' name is made famous in our town it would be incredible Wow, that's fantastic. And of course, me and Steve will pray for that. And hopefully 
you are listeners, not viewers, <laughs> will be mm. praying as well. I, I, I didn't have a pen and paper, so you might have to go back and write notes on those prayer points. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you very much, James, for it's your story. Thank you for spending your bank holiday Monday morning with us. Um, thanks for the coffee as well. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners, thank you very much for joining us, and I'm sure you will appreciate James's story, and hopefully it's helped you. It's certainly helped us. So... If you would like to get in contact with us about anything James has said, any jokes that we have made and how awful they were or anything like that, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Ourwalkpod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Our Walk, and on Twitter, we're at Ourwalkpod. Don't hesitate. Do it now. Otherwise, we're going to say goodbye and see you again in a couple of weeks where we'll have a new victim (laughs) to share their story with us Um, but thank you very much James pleasure thank you very much Luke thank you very much Steve thank you very much me